Thank you, man. Amen. So, good morning, everyone. It is such a blessing to see all your wonderful faces this morning. Okay. So, as you will know, for the past few Sundays, we have been discussing about the book of Hebrew. And uh, we have just finished with the chapter, the first chapter of Hebrew, and now we're just we're going to start with Hebrew chapter one, uh, chapter two, verses one to four. Okay, so let's read the word of God. It says here, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every violation and act of disobedience receive a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Let me start to ask you, how can we determine if something that is being said to us is truth? How do we know it's a truth that we can trust? How do we know it's fact and not fake news? Let me, let me bring it in context to the passage for this morning. How would we react if someone comes to us and say, he is God? You know, just somebody. You know, earlier today, I was uh, drawing that illustration, but the person was, is no longer here. So I'm using this other guy over here, <laughs> Pastor Jay. What if Pastor Jay one day will come up here and say, Hey guys, I am God. Worship me. No, GCAF will be a church about me. What will be our reaction? Now, a lot of us will just say, Impossible. We know God has already shown himself through Jesus Christ and you are not the one. Okay? Good. But here's what I hope and pray for, for this church, for our church, is that every time we encounter something like these things, we always run to the scripture. We always check if what is being explained to us, what is being revealed to us, is according to the word of God. And this we can bank on that with the help of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, no, His children will be able to discern what is true. No? And woe to you who is not able to dis- do so. Woe to you who is not able to discern what is the truth. For we are indeed a blessed generation. Blessed 
Blessed than the previous generation in this way. More blessed. Because we have the complete word of God. Everything God wants us to know about His plan, about who He is, it's right here. And we don't need to guess. We don't need to, to call to the skies and ask for answers. We already have it all here. I also hope and pray that we will also not do it the other way around. Meaning, whatever we have this preconceived notions or, or fixed ideas of what things should be, and then we get presented with something new, we no longer check and compare it with what we know and what is being revealed to us and really see for ourselves if it's really true or not. You know, if Pastor Jay will do that, will come here and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm God. No. We will right away say, no, nah, I know who God is. I know who He's supposed to be. You're not Him. Or, or, or we will say, well, the church or my religion is not saying that you are God. So it's impossible for you to be God, right? Our, our pastors, our leaders of our church are not claiming you to be God. In fact, they're claiming that you're a heretic, that you're teaching us wrong things. Well, let's just, let me just remind you, this actually happened 2,000 years ago, right? There was a very ordinary looking man. A very poor carpenter who went up and told his people that he was the Messiah that they were waiting for. That he was God. And what did we do? I mean, what did the people do? They said, no, we have this idea of what the Messiah should be and it's not you. No, our religion has this picture of who God is and it's not you. They totally missed it. Right in front of them, God himself among them. And none of them recognized. Okay. You might forget, it's easy for us to forget that we have the Bible with us right now. But there was a time that this was not yet complete. Correct? So this was the time in where they don't they, they can't say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look into the Bible, though they had the Old Testament, but the New Testament wasn't there yet. And they will say, I'll look into the Bible and check if what you're claiming is true. Okay? So how do we know? The question here for us is, why do you believe what you believe? 
Why are you here this morning? Why do you chose of all the religions out there in this world to be a Christian? Or let me push this a little further and ask you, why do you believe Jesus who he claims to be? Why do you accept everything that he says? One of the common answers that I would probably get from that question is that, well, it's in the Bible. but, But can you see, even the Bible explained to us why we should believe so. Do you know? Do you believe? Because you understand. Now, one thing that gives Christianity a bad rap in the world, I mean, I'm not saying that if you do Christianity right, meaning you follow Christ, you dedicate your life to Him. The Bible told us that the world will hate us. So that's not the kind of hate or the kind of bad rap that I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about the bad rap in which people who claim to be Christians spewing things from their mouth in which they don't really understand the meaning of the things that they are saying. There's a lot of Christians out there who claims they believe in Jesus Christ but cannot explain why they believe what they believe. If you can check out 1 Peter 3.15, if you have your Bibles with you, you could see there that we are being encouraged, we are being commanded to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. And, and, and that means to be able to explain why you believe what you believe. We cannot separate faith from knowledge. We, cannot, we should not separate faith from understanding. So how would we know if we are being told the truth? So if we look at verse 3, you know, it says here, spoken through the Lord. So the message there is spoken to the Lord. If you, if you check this out, <laughs> I was looking for a picture of that depicts truth. And, and when I was looking at the internet, I saw this and I can't resist putting it here. And it says, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. So sometimes that is what we want, right? I mean, let the truth just reveal itself. But you know what's the wonderful thing about God's plan? He didn't just let truth reveal itself. He did something. Something 
to testify, something to validate the message that came from his son and the people who passed it on. Okay? So let's, let's, let's go to the first verse for this morning. We're going to start with verse 4. It says here, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Okay. What's the them here? Who's the them here? Them here are the people who heard the message firsthand from Jesus Christ. Okay? This was not a, this, these were not the people who heard it from someone else, but they heard it directly from Christ himself. And they were very faithful in passing it on to others. So there is a first-hand account, a first-hand witness of what the message was. But then, with them, with them, God also testified. What does that mean? God also endorsed. God also gave evidence. God also was proving it to be true. How? By signs, wonders, and by various miracles. Now this verse, this verse is a very foundational verse of understanding why was there miracles happening throughout the Bible. And one of the main reasons why miracles were there it was to authenticate. It was to make us understand that there's a powerful God behind the message of the Scriptures. And to show you that He's true. To show you that He's real. He testified the message with miracles, signs, and wonders. And you can see that, no? During Jesus' ministry, even those that were not yet believing in Him, those that were still studying Him, or those that were against Him, they cannot deny this. And you can see it in John chapter 3, verse 2. This was Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus at night and asked Him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Why? Why does he said that? Why does he say that? Why does he know that Jesus came from God? Because here, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And, 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 and that's throughout the New Testament. You can see it in, in Mark that confirming the word by signs that followed. You can see it in Acts, in the early church history, attested to you by God with, with miracles and wonders and signs. And then the epistles. No? 2 Corinthians, there it says, marks of a true apostles. And what was the marks? 
by signs, wonders, and miracles. So here, we can see that even our God is showing us that your faith must have an understanding that goes with it, that your faith must have evidence that goes with it. He's not asking for evidence, um, baseless faith. He's asking for faith that is based on His Word and on who He is. Now, if we go back to the question, why do we believe that Jesus Christ was telling us the truth? Why do we believe that He is who He says He is? You know what? He proved it by doing a miracle. What, was it the turning the wine into water? Was it casting away the demons? Was it like healing the blinds? Yes, he did all those things. But so did all the apostles. Right? And how about this? The em empty tomb. The miracle. The wonder. Where Christ, who died at the cross for our sins, but after three days, he rose again, showing us that even death can't hold him. That was a miracle. That was a sign proving to us who he is. And you say, wait, wait. But was he the only one who did, who resurrected people? I mean, I think the prophets in the Old Testament did it. I think the apostles also did it. Yes, true. But if you notice, people who get resurrected were always people that the resurrection was done by someone doing it to them. Christ? Nobody did it to him. He did it by himself. And that sign testifies to all of us here today that we are so sure that Jesus Christ is who He is. We are sure. The message that we are proclaiming because it was the message that Jesus Christ Himself shared to the world. That's why there must be a plea, guys. There must be a plea that as a Christian, we should have the mindset of seeking truth. It's, it's, it's not like it's optional. It's not like it's an accessory to our faith. It should be the foundation of our faith to seek the truth, to seek to understand the truth so that you will believe the right way 
and it will result into living out your life the way that you're supposed to. No? Just give you an example, no? As, as what we heard on the first chapter of Hebrews, how God showed to us through the word that Jesus Christ himself is superior than the angels. He's greater than the angels. In fact, he's the one who made the angels. And, and there were messages that were delivered through the angels and through the prophets. Okay? And, and here is where some of our brothers are divided. Because some have said that the prophets until today, they still exist. And some says they don't. You know, you can actually, I, I would implore you to study it for yourself. I would implore you to read for yourself and know why you believe what you believe. Because you know why? In the Philippines, we are typically superstitious people, correct? No, part of uh, powers and, uh, and, and, and what, do you, what do you call those things? Somehow they, are, they have infiltrated some practices or teachings in the church just today. And because we typically see miracles being done in the Bible, we think that they, it's, they're going to get done today without thinking about it. So naturally, without really considering it, without even knowing it, a lot of us are actually continuationists. Okay? That means we believe that the miracles are still happening today. We believe that that uh, God is still showing us signs and wonders up to today because we saw it in the Bible, so we don't see any reason why not to. But have you really considered why God did all those signs and wonders? I would encourage you to check this out. Read for yourself and know what path you should follow. Now, this is not a major issue, okay? It will not affect your salvation. This is not something that, you know, will send you to hell, okay? But there's just a warning, okay? For continuationists, the extreme side of it, you know, if you are that kind of a person, you will be prone to blind sensationalism, an unbelieving faith. Okay? You'll be blinded with powers and miracles, slaying of the Spirit, healings, and all those crazy stuff that people who claim to be Christian are doing. And they can easily trick you if you don't know why God does signs and wonders. No? A lot of prosperity preachers today comes from this side. 
They will ask you to give them money and by doing so, you are acting in faith and then things that you're asking for will be given to you. If you want healing, give money to the church as a seed offering and God will honor it and will heal you. If you want blessing, give your tithes and offerings. Be faithful to it and God will bless you. That's the dangerous side of this uh, belief. Okay? But the other side as well, the cessationists cease. That's why they're called the cessationists because they believe that the miracles has ceased. Okay? The extreme side is that you will have a cold, dry, and still yet the same unbelieving faith. This will be the people who will always be suspicious of any miracles, signs, and wonders that happens. They, their faith are old and crusty, and some say churches that does it are dry and empty. Okay? Now, so these are the views. The duration of the gift. And this is talking about the gifts of tongues, the gifts of healing, okay? The apostleship that, number one, no gifts passed away, okay? So until now, everything is still continuing, okay? Number two, all gifts has passed away, so totally stopped. There are some in the middle, okay? That some gifts has passed away. Okay, guys, this is excluding the gift of the Holy Spirit for the edifying of the church, okay? So this is more about the apostolic teaching. In fact, this is the definition. If you want to check it out in um, Theopedia, you can see that continuationism is the belief that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit taught in the Bible, such as prophecies, tongue, interpretation of tongues, healing, and miracles have not ceased and are available for the believer today. So they believe it's still continuing on. Cessationism in Christian theology is the view that the miracles, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, such as healing, tongues, and prophetic revelation pertain to the apostolic era only serve as a purpose that was unique to establishing the early church and has passed away before the canon of the scripture was closed. Okay? So see for yourself which one you are. Now, our, our church doesn't really have a firm stand about this. You know, from, from what I've known, we have always been a church that says, we do not seek these things out, but we also do not stop them or discourage them when it takes place. Okay? So, now let's go back. But, but this is the important thing though. Either way you go. This is the important thing. In John 12, 37, it says here, 
But though he had performed so many signs in their sight, they still were not believing in him. That's Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus was performing so many signs. So guys, are you firm about this? That miracles does not save you from your sins. That's not how God planned it. He gave us the gospel. And the gospel is the power of salvation that is given to us. And not miracles, not signs, and not wonders. And, and, and here's the thing. If, if you feel that the word of God it's not enough. If you are saying that sometimes, oh Lord, how I just wish that you do something more, like, like you show a light or, 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 or you, 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 you show me like, like what you did with Moses with the burning bush. Can you do something like that, Lord, so that I can really know that you are there? Lord, can you, can you do something, Lord, so that I can really show people that you are there? Guys, that is more revealing about your faith and your understanding about who God is than is your desire to prove God to the rest of the world. Because what you're really saying when you say those things is that the Bible, the Word of God, is not enough. I need more, Lord. I need... Yes, the Word is so important. Yes, the Word is so powerful, but I need your miracles, Lord, to show to them, to show to myself. Let me make it very clear this morning, whether you're going to be a cessationist, a knowing continuationist, the Word is enough. We have everything that we need for righteous living, for correcting, for glorifying, for worshiping, for loving. We have enough. And this is more than enough. Okay? So let's go back and dive back to the passage. Let's now go to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. Now it says here, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Okay. For this reason. For this reason, it means, for this reason that what was just explained to you guys on chapter 1, that's showing to you that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. So if you see that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels, the angels that God used to give us some of the message, some of the laws that He wants us to follow, then how much more if someone that is greater than the angel is giving us this message that we should pay very, very close attention to what it is. And here's a warning if you don't pay close attention to it. 
so that we do not drift away from it. Guys, you know, this is something that is very common in churches. And I believe this is also one thing that is common in our church. That if someone random is going to get cold here and ask to, to, to come up here and share, can you tell me what the gospel is for you? There's a very big chance that some of us who has been coming to this church for a very long time, who has been joining small groups, wider groups for a long time, will not be able to explain. Guys, if you really love God, then make the gospel very intimate to you. Know it well like the back of your hand. Master it. For if not, then you will find yourself drifting away from it. When sometimes when you feel the pressure of sharing the gospel to people whom you feel will ridicule you. So what do you do? It's either you emphasize now the blessing of, that God gives or you downplay the need to repent. Pay much closer attention to what the gospel is. And we continue to verse 2. It says, For if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every violation and act of disobedience receive a just punishment. Okay? Unalterable. You cannot change it. We're not supposed to change it. You know, one way of saying that you know better than God is to change the gospel. One way of, of saying that that you are smarter than God is to change the gospel. Because you feel by doing it, it's going to be more effective. By doing it, pe more people will accept it and receive it. You're just showing your pride. You're not supposed to change it. You're supposed to be faithful to it. Because it's already proven sure. It is already proven reliable. It is already authentic. Then every violation and act of disobedience. Okay, guys. And, and this is one way for us to read the scripture. Okay? You have to be careful of the words that it's being used. Sometimes, when you just skim over this verse and you read it, you'll, you'll just say, and every violation and act of disobedience received the just punishment. Okay, so it's violation and disobedience. And never really thinking about what's the difference? What's the difference of an act of violation and an act of disobedience? You see, this passage, God made sure to know, or to let us know that there's no way out for us. That you cannot say that, okay, 
I can live the Christian life the way I want to live. Why? Because it's just right here. Every violation. Violation here means things that you do that you know you're not supposed to do. Okay? It's, it, it's like a rebellion. It's, it's like being told, okay, you're up to this line only. And what do you do? That's a violation. You went over the line. But act of disobedience here, it means you were supposed to stand here, but you decided to stay where you are. So in other words, you can, this may uh, help you better understand it. It could be action and inaction. It could be by doing and not doing. It could be by uh, commission and omission or transgression and omission. Doing it and not doing it. You have nowhere to go. You are guilty if you do sin and you're guilty if you do not do what you're supposed to do. Either way, you're doomed. Okay? And here, receives a just punishment. We'll go back to that. Okay? Just punishment. Why? Here, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. So escape. You know, guys, in this world, it's not actually sins that eventually will get us. I mean, let, let me explain. You see, those people that are going to heaven, did they not sin also? They did, right? Just like the people who are going to hell. Correct? What is the difference? How did these people who were first doomed to hell escape their sentence? by the grace of God through faith accepting the salvation that was offered to them. And that means here that for those who will not accept the salvation that is being offered by God, you will have no escape. You will be doomed. You see, and that is just just. No one will go to hell who doesn't deserve it. Everybody who is in hell deserves exactly that hell. But see, our, our problem here is this. Our problem here is that we don't actually, men, in, in, in our condition, 
we don't actually feel the need of being saved. To be honest, we do, cannot see the need of being saved unless God will help us. I've I, I drew up an illustration earlier when I, I said was that if you, if you see a drunkard and you see how the alcohol is destroying his body, and but not only his body, but the relationship around him. But he loves the alcohol so much that he even gets angry every time you take alcohol away from him. He doesn't want to be saved from alcohol. He doesn't, see the, he doesn't see the need for him to be saved from alcohol, regardless of what it's doing to his body and to the relationships around him. That's our problem, guys. We, we, we think we can know. We think we can decide for ourselves why we need to get saved. Because sometimes the way we understand salvation is just a, a way of getting saved from hell. Away from getting saved from sin. No, those are correct. Those are actually in the scripture. But those are partial pictures of the this great salvation plan. It is so big. That's why you can spend all your life studying about the gospel and about God's plan of salvation. And your life will be too short to study it all. So why do I say that? You see, let, let, let me try to, to, to present it. Okay, Romans 3.23. Here it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not have any problems with this verse, Correct? We all will agree to this verse very easily. In fact, the mere point that you are here because you accept that you are a sinner and that you need God. That's why you're here in church today. So, so the issue of being a sinner is not sometimes the main issue here. The main issue here is that sometimes, even though you accepted that you are a sinner, by the end of the day, you will still think of yourself as a good person. You, know? you might even think, why did God save you in the first place? Because you're a very good person. Because you have something to offer to God. Because God can use your life. And that's why He saved you. It's, it's a logic that is starting from man's point of view of God's salvation rather than looking at it from God's point of view. God saved me because 
God saved me because. And because of that, no, we have this um, perverted view or twisted view of ourselves that we think ourselves highly than we ought to. Okay, you say, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't agree. I, I see myself as wretched. I see myself as a sinner. I see myself as not worthy. But whatever it is that you are looking at yourself right now, I tell you, if you say, I'm oh, no, here, no, 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 I'm here, no, I'm here. To be honest, it is still not low enough. And then, and then, when you see God, when you look at God, you feel that, okay, God is so mighty, right? And when, that's why when we sing songs to Him, our emotion just draws up and then we say, He is such a great God. But I tell you, however high you think you're looking at God right now, it's not high enough. And, and somehow there's a dynamic there. That if your view of God is not high, then that's probably your view of yourself is higher than it ought to be. And so we miss the portion of the verse that says, we fall short of the glory of God. We don't have issue of us being sinners, but we miscalculate, misunderstand how short we are from the glory of God. And we think we're nearer than where we are really are. We think of ourselves too highly. We think of God too low. And what does that mean? It's because of man's rebellion of living his life for himself. No. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? Because we're sinners. But most often than not, you, we do sin because why? Makes us, we think it makes us happy. Because we think it makes us get what we want. It's about the me, 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 me. And you see, part of the salvation plan is to save you from you. That's what makes, and here, it's, it reads here, 2.11, the proud look of humanity will be brought low and the arrogance of people will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. It's our pride. You know what, what makes salvation great? It's this. Man who loves to live for himself. Man who wants 
to rule the world needs to be humbled down. The salvation plan of God will humble you. Because you are humbled. Down on your knees, you will say, Lord, Lord, you are right and I am wrong. Lord, it is you and it's not me. That's where repentance follows. It was a changing of their mind. It's finally the realization that life is nothing without God. And then, if you understand, if you really want to follow Christ, you have to die. You have to die living for yourself. And start living only and only for God. Guys, and, and these things is not a one-time event. Okay? These things will be with you from the moment you are justified until the day you will be glorified. Every day, guys, you will be humbled. Every day you pray that you will repent. You think you have already repented? The more you see God, the more you see His holiness, the more you see His righteousness, I will tell you, the more you will feel the need to repent. And the more He will show you about how you live your life, there are other things that you thought that you have already given to Him, but there will be things that you will discover you're still holding on for yourself. Then you need to die there and give it up to Him. No, I, asked, I started this question earlier with what is truth. Then you were asking, what is this salvation? In the Bible, it does not tell us what. It does not only tell us what. It tells us it's a who. It's Jesus Christ himself. The God who created the angels. Who is superior than the angels. Made himself lower than those angels. So that he will be a lamb. Slain for our sins. You know, one thing that I know, that I'm personally convinced that I believe that salvation is great for my life, is that as a father, 
I 100% believe is the only precious gift that I can give. There's no other more precious than that gift that I can share, I can explain to my children. So we do it as often as we can. And, and uh, you know, one way, oh, one day, you know, one of our sharings, uh, I gave this illustration for him, for them. See, I, I, I told them, uh, guys, we were talking about how wonderful the relationship is with the Father in heaven. So, so I, I told them that, you know, imagine ourselves, you know, looking at a house. And then in this house, there's this window where we can look inside. And every night, we try to look inside and we see a father and a son you know, doing something together. Every night, you know, there, there, there are some nights that we watch them that they will be laughing. And there will be some nights when we watch them that they will be so serious. And they... they and, and they, they seem to be doing something about, about carrying something and then letting the boy crouch down. No? So we watched for several nights as that happened. Then one day, we saw them leaving and going to their school. And in that school, we saw that there was a play. And in that play, you see that the child was in his costume, getting ready. And then it suddenly makes sense that they were practicing for the play. No. So when the boy was getting ready to go up to the stage and do his part, that boy, he went up to the stage and then went in there and then he did the crouch. He sat down, lying on the floor, because he was a stone. He was a stone in that play. And all he needed to do was just walk up the stage, crouch, and his costume was a rock. That was it. But after he crouched, he looked up. You can see the biggest smile on that boy's face. And he looked at the, at the people watching him and he was just looking for one face. That smile of a father looking at his son, so proud of what he was doing. And that child was so oblivious to the people sitting beside, standing around beside him, the prince with his gallant attire, the princess with his shining dress, the king with his crown, the knights with their shining armor. But the child did not see those things. He did not see that the crowd, some of them were laughing at him for just being a stone. He did not see that some were just amused. Some did not even notice him. He was just looking for that one face, the face of his father.
Yes. And that was all he needed. And he smiled, stood up, and went on the other side to exit the stage. Guys, that's what makes the salvation great. Is that you will have a loving relationship with your Father in heaven. That His Son sent His own Son so that you will have that intimate relationship with Him. That you will know what is it to live life just looking for that one purpose. That is to live only for God. And you know, as a father, as I was telling my kids this story, I didn't know for the life of us, but suddenly we just broke out in tears. All four of my kids just started to have tears roll down their eyes. <laughs> and their emotional dad also started to cry now with them. And I stood up and I had to hug everybody. I just offered it up to God and just saying, Lord, even with this simple story, my kids will just have a glimpse of how wonderful you are. I pray, Lord, that they will also know for themselves how great the salvation is and that they will live life like it. That yes, indeed, Great is the salvation that has God has given us. And how great it was that when he looked around and decided which or who will be greater than my son, that I will send them, I will send him for this salvation. There was no one else greater than Jesus Christ himself. And I pray that you will live life like that. Salvation. Great is His salvation.